Hello and welcome to my little closet studio here in Durban, South Africa. If you listen to this podcast in real time, you know that it has been seven weeks since I released a new episode. To be honest, I think that 2020 got the best of me there for a bit. We had three babies from our baby house that had to be hospitalized. Our youngest son and his family, who have been living in South Africa for the past three and a half years, moved back to the States in September. And I think that the emotional toll of all of those things combined, along with the general pandemic fatigue that we all feel, just stole my motivation and my creativity for a while. But I am feeling better And I'm excited about what I have planned between now and Christmas. So I hope you'll join us for this new season. Welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but Rather Uncertain. A little while back, I did a podcast entitled The Empire Strikes Back. If you haven't listened to it, I would encourage you to do so. In it, I speak about how easy it is to confuse the empires of this world with the kingdom of God. And that kind of thinking easily leads us to a nationalistic ideology, which I really think is quite dangerous. In that episode, I spoke a lot about what the kingdom of God is not. But for the next two or three episodes, I want to talk about what the kingdom of God is. It was, after all, Jesus' favorite subject, or at least his favorite phrase. He spoke about the kingdom of God more than any other subject. So I want to make a couple of general observations, and then I want to look at a number of the parables where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, and then he tries to give us a picture to help us understand. When I speak of these things, I often start out by talking about how I used to see it, and often even how I used to preach about it. So let me do that here again. I used to think this was easy. I would say the kingdom is not the church, and I still agree with that. I would say the kingdom is not about the sweet by and by, and I still agree with that. I would say that the kingdom of God was the place where God ruled and reigned. The kingdom of God was this hierarchy that we would submit ourselves to. I am not so sure that's true anymore. Let's start by acknowledging that the kingdom of God is not an easy subject to understand or to talk about. It's not something that you can easily define. I mean, even Jesus said, you can't point to something and say, there is the kingdom of God. And so Jesus usually defined it by using metaphors. By using pictures, he would say, the kingdom of God is like, and he would try to paint a picture for us to understand. 
but we in modern days love definitions, and there are a lot of them out there on this subject. So as I prepared for this, I read a lot of what people have written on it, and there are many different ways people come about this, but almost all of them, the word rule comes up. It's about the rule of God in the world. It's about the rule of Christ on earth. It's the place where the king rules, where Christ rules. So they would say, when Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you, that would only be true if you were submitting to the rule of God in your life. Basically, they're saying that the kingdom of God is a hierarchy, and that's exactly what I thought and what I taught. Let me say two things about this idea. First of all, it seems to me that the rule of God is very dependent on my picture of God in the first place. If my picture of God is a vengeful, jealous king that we see in many of the passages of the Old Testament, quite frankly, then the kingdom of God or the rule of God is a pretty oppressive place. At least that's how it feels to me. Here are the rules, and if you step out of line, the consequences are pretty severe. And so the kingdom of God is the place where all the people obey the rules and fall in line. Also, if the kingdom of God is a hierarchy, there's not much room for radical inclusivity. It's very clear about who's in and who's out. Here are the rules. In order to be in, you just have to follow them. But if you don't, then you're out. It makes the kingdom of God very exclusive. So with this kind of a view of God, the kingdom of God is this exclusive hierarchy I think that a lot of people would say, and the problem is, because that's exactly how they see the kingdom of God. Like I said earlier, the kingdom of God seems to be Jesus' favorite subject. Between the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, the phrase comes up almost 70 times. But what's really interesting is that Matthew most often quotes Jesus as saying, the kingdom of heaven. Even the stories that are duplicated in the two Gospels quote Jesus differently, kingdom of God in Luke and kingdom of heaven in Matthew. Now, most theologians agree that it's exactly the same thing, which I don't really have a problem with, but I wonder why Matthew uses kingdom of heaven. The answer that most people give is that Matthew was writing to a very Jewish audience, and the Jews didn't actually speak the name of God. So in respect to that, Matthew used heaven instead of God. Now, that might well be right, but what if it's not? In fact, there are five times that Matthew does use kingdom of God, so why sometimes and not others to the same Jewish audience? It could actually be that Jesus himself used it interchangeably. And so the writers didn't feel the need to get it exactly right. What if Jesus did that to help us understand 
that this kingdom is not about the idea of a king and rule and hierarchy at all. I'm sure you remember the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What if the kingdom that Jesus is talking about is actually more like a culture than a hierarchy? What if Jesus is saying, let this culture that is in heaven come to earth? So what is the culture of heaven? It's Trinity. It's the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. It's what the Desert Fathers called the dance of God. There's no hierarchy. There's no king, no rule. There is honor and love and dignity and respect and submission toward each other. I would suggest that the culture of heaven is a culture of relationship. What if the kingdom of God is much more about our relationships with each other than it is about a place where God enforces the rules? What if it's about how we treat each other in this world rather than a hierarchy? So I want to get to a few parables, but just let that sink in for a moment because it's rather radical view of what the kingdom of God is about. I'm suggesting that the kingdom of God that Jesus prayed would come to earth is about how we love each other, about how we show respect and dignity toward each other. After all, didn't Jesus say that the thing that would set us apart in this world is how we love each other? Doesn't it make sense that that is what the kingdom of God is all about? Okay, let's look at three short parables that Jesus specifically says the kingdom of God is like. Three metaphors, three pictures that help us to understand at least one facet of the kingdom of God. The first two are back to back um, from Matthew chapter 13. It goes like this. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Then he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman put in and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Then this little parable comes up in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. It says, What is the kingdom of God like? A man scatters a seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. 
all by itself the soil produces grain first the stalk then the head and then the full kernel in the head and as soon as the grain is ripe he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come the very clear picture that at least one facet of the kingdom of God is not something that comes from the outside, but it grows from the inside out. In fact, there's this idea that the seed is already there, that it's planted within us, that God planted the seed in us. We just nurture it and develop it because it's already there. So what we all know is that we are created in and for relationships. I doubt if anybody would argue that thought. We've all heard of the deep trauma that people experience when they're in solitary confinement in prison or as prisoners of war. We shrivel up and we die without relationship. It's planted in us from the very beginning of our lives. And when it's nurtured in us, it has this massive effect on the world around us. In the picture of the mustard seed, it grows into this giant tree that provides shade. In the picture of the yeast, it grows from the inside out and changes the very nature of the wheat. The yeast affects the dough, and when you bake it, it not only produces nourishment, but is there anything that smells better than bread baking? I don't think so. The parable of the seed is exactly the same thing. It's nurtured, it grows, and it provides food and sustenance. This seems to be the basic operating pattern of God. In his plan to bring healing and redemption to the world, he did it from the inside out. God came to this earth in the form of a baby, born to a young Jewish girl. The theological word we use is incarnate. God began the work of healing and redemption from the inside out. And when you think about it, Everything that has value in this world comes from the inside out. Hope comes from the inside out. Oh, sure, people can inspire hope in you. They can encourage and support you. But all they are doing is nurturing something that's already in you. They are not creating something. Hope and courage and strength and love and faith and belief all come from the inside out. Great change in our world comes from the inside out. It comes when people have a vision that starts at the very core of who they are. It's a vision they cannot keep in, and they inspire other people with this vision, people who realize that the same vision lives inside of them. And then together, in relationship, that vision begins to take form, and lives are touched, and people are changed. But it all starts from the inside out. Okay, so what if the kingdom of God is a group of people, 
a movement, if you will, of people who are filled with love and hope and strength and belief and vision. A group of people that love and serve each other. A group of people that believe in each other. A group of people that is as diverse as the world around us. A group that cares more about the other person than about what they believe. People that care more about each other than they do about your age or your color or your gender or your sexual preference. A group of people that doesn't get it perfect all the time, but that is working to learn and to grow in love towards each other. What if that group was so loving towards each other that it was as attractive as bread baking in the oven. Was that what Jesus was saying when he said that they will know you are my followers by how you love each other? What an amazing picture of the kingdom of God. There's a story in Mark about a man that came to Jesus. If you've been involved in the church very much, this story is not obscure for you. It's often preached about and spoken about, but I'm not sure we are coming at it from the right place. Let me read it to you from the book of Matthew. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, Mark's account of the story, he calls this man a rich young ruler. Anyway, it goes on. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good, and if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these things I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? The man was saying that that I fall into this hierarchical system. I follow all the rules. I have submitted myself to the lordship of God. If the kingdom of God is the place where God rules and reigns, then this guy is in. Jesus answered, goes on, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Just on a side note, notice that Matthew quotes Jesus as saying, The kingdom of heaven first and then repeating the phrase, but then using the kingdom of God. Usually when I've heard this passage spoken on, it has something to do with what you put your trust in. Do you trust in the things of this world to save you or in Jesus? Or sometimes it's about how we love the world more than we love God. 
or sometimes it's about how we are not saved by works or keeping the law but by grace. All of those explanations work really well in a hierarchical view of the kingdom of God. But what if a better way of seeing it is that Jesus is saying that it's very hard to relate to people around you from a place of privilege. This kingdom of God that is about love and caring and relating to others and empathizing with others is really difficult to understand or to enter into from a place of privilege. You will understand it so much better from a place of need. So if you want to really know what the kingdom of God is about, get rid of the stuff that keeps you from experiencing the relationships that are part of the kingdom of God. I don't think that the kingdom of God is a hierarchical system. I don't think it's about how well I follow the rules. I don't think it's the place where God reigns like a king on a throne. I think it's a place where love reigns. It's a place where grace reigns. It's a place where inclusivity reigns. And if that's true, is there any more needed prayer to pray in these days? then let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't think so. So what do you think? Am I crazy? I would love to hear your thoughts. Drop me a note. You can do it at my website, skipcollins.com, or on social media. You'll find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, if you feel so inclined to help support what we're doing here, it would be incredibly helpful. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Skip Collins. You can give anywhere from $1 a month from anywhere in the world. Patreon accepts any credit card and it will just convert your particular currency. I would be super grateful for whatever you can do. Next time, we're going to continue on this theme and look at other pictures, other stories in which Jesus says the kingdom of God is like. In the meantime, keep safe and remember that the kingdom of God is within you and among you and it's growing out of you. And all you have to do is to begin to nurture it and let it grow in your life. Shalom. Shalom.